We turn in God's Word this morning to that very familiar scene and situation that we find in Matthew chapter 19, verse 13. Our consideration this morning will be verse 13 through 15, Matthew 19, verses 13 through 15. Let us hear then the breathed out word of God to us this morning. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Now, keep your finger here. Turn with me to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. And we'll read the account as Mark records it. As the breathed out word of God. Mark 10, 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. The disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them into his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And then one more, because it's recorded a third time. Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. And we'll read, starting at verse 15, God's breathed out word. Luke 18, 15. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Thus far, the reading of God's word to us this morning. Let's bow in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again that we can come into your house. We thank you for this portions of your word that we have heard read this morning. Lord, we thank you for the way that you embrace little children and bless them. For we are all your children, Lord. And we thank you for the gift of children that you've given to us, each individual family here and as a congregation. Pray that you'll help us to train them to know and to love you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's look at four things this morning from these verses. First of all, the context. Secondly, the request that is made. Thirdly, the reaction that we see. And then fourthly, the teaching. So the context, the request, the reaction, and the teaching. First of all, the context. Let's go back to chapter 19. What has Jesus been dealing with in the preceding chapters? Well, he's been dealing with the lost, those who are apart from the kingdom. 
He tells parables about these lost. He talks about seeking the lost and bringing them in. Jesus spoke about forgiveness and the necessity of forgiveness and how often we are to forgive. Perhaps setting the stage for the next section, which is dealing with the issue of marriage. Reminding us that in a marriage, forgiveness is going to be a foundational element of it. So we have the lost, we have forgiveness, and then as we looked at last Lord's Day morning from chapter 19 of Matthew, the subject of marriage. That uh, the Pharisees came with their question about divorce, but Jesus makes it a discussion about marriage. And we learn that which Jesus spoke about there, and that those foundational elements that we get from the book of Genesis, reminding us how important those opening chapters are and that we are not to be dismissive from them, and that Jesus accepts them as historical truth as well. What a blessing it's been this past week with VBS to have uh, the lesson centered upon uh, those opening chapters of Genesis as well, teaching our children from there. But then Jesus not only dealt with the subject of marriage, which included divorce, which, by the way, we will come back to again this evening because we never did get to the question of the remarriage issue that is lodged in those verses. So we'll come back to that uh, again tonight as well. But notice lost, forgiveness, marriage, children. Notice how God in his providence arranges this. The first word that we have in our text this morning is then. Then. He's just been done talking about marriage and the marriage relationship. He's just finished giving instruction about what a Christian marriage ought to be about and focused on. Then children are brought to him. That's no accident. That's not just, hmm, isn't that a coincidence that that happened? No, that's by the divine arrangement of a sovereign God. In that circumstance, as marriage has been talked about, what happens in the hearts of those who are hearing this instruction? They're looking at the fruit of their marriage. They're looking at their children. And their immediate reaction is to bring them. Their immediate thought is these children need to be brought to Jesus. Then children. So how old are they? Matthew reports to us, then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands upon him. That's kind of a wide age range, right? We, we might think of a first grader, a second grader. We might think of a nine, ten-year-old as being a, a child, right? What does Luke tell us? Luke says, then infants were brought to him. Same circumstance, same situation, same setting. Luke gives us 
a more defining term. Matthew gives us children, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Luke specifies, no, these are infants. It's the same word in Luke that is used in Luke chapter 2.12. Remember Luke chapter 2.12? It's Jesus having just been born. It's a baby. The word that Luke uses here is the word that the Jews that, that was used in Greek to describe an unborn child or just a newly born child, a baby, an infant. So who is brought to Jesus in this passage? Nine, ten-year-old children? Twelve-year-old children? Eight-year-old children? No. Infants. Babies. That's what Luke tells us. That's what the language tells us. That's what the Word of God tells us. These parents brought to Jesus their infants. They're newly born children. Now you might say, well, why doesn't Matthew use the same term? Matthew doesn't need to. What do you mean by that, Matthew doesn't need to? Well, remember, each of the Gospels is written for a particular audience. Matthew's Gospel is written particularly to the Jewish people, to show them that Jesus Christ, or that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed. That Jesus is the Messiah. He takes all these Old Testament passages, all these prophecies, to show us that Jesus is that Christ. Okay, what's that got to do with this subject? Because in the Jewish mind, what, what children are brought. In the Jewish mind, when do you bring children for some religious situation? You do it when they're babies. You do it when they're eight days old. You do it at their circumcision. Matthew doesn't need to tell Jewish people who these children are. Jewish people understand who they are. Notice how we talk about, even in, in our Reformed Presbyterian culture and background, okay, that you bring your children for baptism. Now, what do we generally mean by that term? We're thinking newly born babies. Why? Because that's part of the way that we in the Reformed and Presbyterian camp think. Parents who bring their children for baptism, we, we don't sit around and wonder, wonder what age they are. We have a general understanding, so did the Jewish people, to whom Matthew is writing. Luke, however, is writing to a Gentile world. He then provides us, through the Holy Spirit, the more descriptive, the more definitive term. Infants. Babies. The same term he used to describe Jesus in Bethlehem being swaddled and placed in a manger. We have to interpret the word of God by the word of God. 
And that's what we're doing. Notice, then children were brought. The children indicate no desire they want to be brought. There's no question asked, do you want to go see Jesus? And the children said, sure, let's go sit on Jesus' lap. We'd love to do that. There's no parent saying to their child, do you know who Jesus is? Do you understand why Jesus came? There's no questioning. They were brought. This is not of the child's own volition. This is not of the child's decision. This is not because they looked at Jesus and he has such a trusting, loving face and they go, oh, we just want to sit on his lap. Sort of some sort of an idea like sitting on the lap of John Ball at the zoo. No, they're brought. Why? Because it's the parents who are bringing the baby. It's not the children running up to Jesus to his lap. The children are, are bringing their, child, their babies, their infants to Jesus. That's the picture the word of God has given us here. That's the context. Secondly, note the request. What are they asking for? They were brought to him one, that he might lay his hands on them and pray. Now, we see that as two different things, right? To us, we read, they lays his hands on them and prays. It is one act. It's called the act of blessing. This is the, the Old Testament pattern, right? That you have of, of a, a patriarch and the children are brought and he places hands upon them and he blesses them. They are bringing these children to Jesus. These infants, these babies. In order that Jesus might put a blessing upon them. That he might lay his hands and pray. Because there's some of you who are going to go, wait a minute, when we get to the end of the passage, okay, we read he laid his hands on, but it doesn't say he prayed. It doesn't need to. Because when one lays one's hands on them, there is the blessing that goes with it. This is what the parents request. Think of the significance of this. Think of what is happening in the parent's mind. They see something in Jesus, these parents, that makes them desirous to take their little babies and to bring them to him and ask him for a blessing upon those children. See, this passage doesn't speak about the faith and trust of the child. This, this passage doesn't speak about, oh, you see, that the child had such trust they went to Jesus. No, it's the parents. See, when you truly look at the passage, when you really examine the scripture, you see what's happening. You see believing parents who, who see in Jesus 
something. They're, they might not have it fully organized yet. They might have it not fully detailed. But they recognize his authority. They recognize his right. They recognize his control. They recognize something about Jesus that necessitates them bringing their infants to him for a blessing. But what's the reaction? What happens? The reaction to this scene is the disciples get in the way. These hand-picked men, these men who have been with Jesus, these men who have journeyed with Jesus, these men who have listened to Jesus, these men who have soaked in Jesus. It's not a question of not hearing or not getting information. It's the question of these men who have been with Jesus making a decision that it's inappropriate, that it's wrong, that it's bothersome, that it's troublesome, that there is something wrong with bringing children, infants, to Jesus. Maybe they're trying to guard Jesus' time. Maybe they think Jesus has more important things to do. Maybe he, they think that these ch- babies, these infants, well, they, they, they're not thinking, they're, they're not processing anything about Jesus, so why would we bring them to Jesus? Maybe they think that Jesus is tired out from the whole day and, and all the questioning and all the teaching, and so we, we've got to guard his time. We've got, we've got to somehow limit his time. Those may be the best. At worst, they don't think children have a right to the kingdom. At worst, they think a baby, an infant, has no right to the things of Jesus. Maybe they think, at the worst, God's only interested in grown-ups with faith. And not babies who have nothing to contribute. At worst, perhaps they're trying to be managers of grace. At worst, perhaps they're trying to be delegators of grace. That's at worst. That's the reaction. To bar the way. To keep parents to speak against. They hindered them. They rebuked the people, says Matthew. This is the only place outside of the passage in Mark where this particular term is used in Scripture. it's, It's pretty cutting. It's one of those words, it's interesting, the Holy Spirit leads Matthew to include this word. I mean, you think of a whole lot of other contexts, this particular word might have used, been used, right here. There is something about this issue 
There is something about the way in which the disciples kept these infants from coming to Jesus. That calls forth the Holy Spirit to use a particular word. Not a general word. There is something, there, there is something, there's something wretched about what these disciples are doing here. There is something in, in the way in which they do it, the way in which they handle it, the reasons they do it, their thought pattern, which calls forth the Holy Spirit to say, this is what they actually did. They rebuked these parents. They set up a fence. They put up a gate. They said, you can only get to Jesus if, 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 if. Like there are certain conditions that have to be met. And unless you meet those conditions, then you don't get the blessing of Jesus. So that takes us to point four, verse 14, the teaching. It comes as a command. It comes as a command. Let the little children come to me. In fact, in, it was it the, the Mark passage that we read that, that Jesus is, is pretty upset about this. Jesus himself reacts to what the disciples themselves have done. He was very displeased. He sees what's happening. He hears what's happening. He understands their thinking process. And it displeases Jesus. I mean, there's many things, I'm sure, in our lives that displease Jesus. It's interesting, though, how rarely that is stated in Scripture. As far as Jesus being here in that historical time frame, being here, and we have the indications of that which he did, that which he said, we have the revelation to us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There are very few things that displease Jesus. But this was one of them. It's almost like Jesus is saying, how dare you? How dare you set up a barrier? How dare you limit? How dare you keep? What are you thinking, man? He was very displeased and he issues the command, let the children come. Let, well let's use the defined word, let the babies come. Let the infants come. And do not hinder, put no obstacle in the way, don't drive them from me. Make no argument that says they don't have a right to my blessing. 
Don't get so caught up in your theological wars that you, that you can't see. I want infants. I want babies to come to me. I want them to be blessed by me. I want them to be brought. Let them come. And do not hinder. That's the command. It's pretty straightforward. Right? It's pretty hard to raise some sort of argument that says, well, I think I have a good reason why babies should not come to Jesus for a blessing. The word's here. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. But Jesus then provides a reason. For to such, for to such, Oftentimes, when this passage is used, when this passage is spoken upon, when this passage is preached on, what you're going to hear at this point is this, for to such. Well, what does Jesus mean by the such? Well, children have by nature a childlike trust. Children have by nature an innocence about them. Children by nature are, are believing. So what Jesus means is that the kingdom belongs to such. People who have a childlike faith. I want you to mull this over. Because we know what the word of God has said. The word of God has said that those who are being brought to Jesus are babies. Newborns. And they have such childlike trust, don't they? That's so exhibited. They have an innocence about them. We're all conceived and born in sin. See, this isn't about the children. This isn't about, see, these children had faith in Jesus, therefore Jesus wants them brought. They're babies. They're infants. What is Jesus saying? For to such is the kingdom of God. Yeah. You know what a baby is? It's helpless. Helpless. It can do nothing to sustain its own life. Do you know who the kingdom of heaven belongs? To those who realize and understand they can do nothing to save themselves. They are but babes and are wholly, fully reliant on God's grace.
Oh, see, now I've repented of my sins and I confess Christ. Now, therefore, I get to come and Jesus blesses me. That's not the picture. That's a misuse of what's happening here. Jesus is saying to such is the kingdom of heaven to remind us we are not innocent. We are corrupt. We are sinners. And we can do nothing to save ourselves. We, like children, receive the blessing of God. We, like children, infants, babies. And the Pharisee came to Jesus and said, I got to do to see the kingdom. You must be what? Born again. Nicodemus, you've got to become a baby again. Why do I got to become a baby? Because even as an infant, Nicodemus, even as a baby, you are full of sin. And the only thing that can wash you and cleanse you is the blood of Jesus Christ. You need to be born again. But can't, can't I recite to you the law? No. Can't I recite to you some Bible passages? No. Can't I tell you how much I love you and how much I believe in you and how much I accept you and how much I trust you? No. None of that. None of that. Makes you worthy to receive my blessing. Because I give my blessing solely by grace. Let the children come and see the example. That's what we saw this morning. That's what we witnessed this morning. A child incapable of saying anything. A child incapable of bringing them on their own self. Then children were brought by parents who desired a blessing of Jesus. The disciples said, no way, no way, stay away. Jesus, displeased, said, let the children come and do not hinder them. For to such is the kingdom. For such is the right. Abraham, I call you out of darkness and out of Ur of the Chaldees. It wasn't even your thought. It wasn't even in your imagination. I and I alone am calling you out of Ur of the Chaldees. And I establish my covenant with you and with your children as an everlasting covenant. And now, Abraham, I want you to take your children and I want you to circumcise them as a sign that you understand that it is by grace and grace alone that you are saved. Travis and Carrie, I want you to bring your children 
And I want you to receive my sign of baptism. Thereby testifying that you know that it is only by grace and by grace alone that you are saved and it's only by my grace that your child will be saved. Bring him here. Do not forbid him. And by our baptism, Jesus places his name upon us and blesses us. That's what we witnessed this morning. We witness the triune God blessing a child. Placing his hands upon that child and saying, here's my promise. It's the same promise I gave to Abraham. It's the same promise I gave to his descendants. It's the same promise I gave to the people in the Old Testament. It's the same promise I give today. It's the same promise that Peter says is to you and to your children on the day of Pentecost. Trust me for your salvation. So Jesus did it passage says and he laid his hands on them he did it he blessed those children and then he went away interesting right didn't stick around he went away why because now it became those parents responsibility to tell their children that they had been blessed by Jesus it was now those parents' responsibility to say they were unique. They were unique. They'd been blessed by Jesus. It became those parents' responsibility to teach them who Jesus was and what he was going to do. And it became those parents' responsibility to call to faith and to trust in Jesus Christ, even as we witnessed in the vows that were made before us this morning. What a blessing. What a blessing. Oh, I know probably not all of you in this room this morning understand, or maybe you do understand, but you have chosen different um, denominations. You've chosen different traditions by which you look at baptism. The point here this morning is not to convince you that we're right in our view. If you're not of our tradition, then I simply want to and hope you understand why we do what we do. Because you see, this line, this line is included in that baptismal form that I used this morning. This thing about Jesus blessing the children. Pastor Bob isn't just making this up. This is, this is our reform. This is our Presbyterian. This is the church's history. This is the early church history. This is the ancient church history. This is the history of the Reformation. This is the history of Luther, of Zwingli, of Huss, of Calvin, of Knox. This is the history. This is our 
history. Not just making this up. We see this passage as a passage which says, bring the babies and let them be blessed. But for those of you of our tradition, understand the glorious treasure and blessing. A pearl of great price that you have been given. Don't squander it. Don't mistake that what we did here was save baby hope. Only Christ saves. Only Christ washes. Nothing but his blood. His parents work, work hard at leading and training your children to know Christ and him alone. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for your word. It's challenging. This 19th chapter that you put in your word is quite a chapter. Marriage, divorce, remarriage, children. And yet, Father, this is your word. May we receive it as such. May we hear it as such. May we live by it as such. For the glory and honor of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. God's people saying, Amen.